me need to work too. on. <laughs> we need to work on these opens. I do, never we try know again? what to do. Should we try again? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Susie! <laughs> Hello, Sarah, and all Yay! the Brainiacs. Yay! We're back. Can you believe it? We're back. It's episode 324. I'd say better than ever, but no, just like regular. Yeah, we did, We aren't. We're not <laughs> better than ever. We peaked at like 280, but we just are going to keep doing these. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, that's the plan. And now pressure's on because I didn't know that this was like the rule that like professors and people mm-hmm. who, uh, uh, you know, are in like higher positions at school, like can't like follow us on social media or we can't have any like online connection. But as soon as we graduate, it's like no rules. So my director was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. In a few days, I'm going to be able to listen to your podcast. Oh and I was God. like, oh no. <laughs> Sarah, you must hate that. I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> the only way it could be worse is if they could or chose to watch the challenge reruns. Right. Fair. <laughs> Although you never did anything embarrassing, but just being on the show is embarrassment enough. You know what? I'm glad you, you brought this subject up because I have been getting, so, you know how it, how I always do. I'll get those messages underneath my photos that are like, are you coming back to the challenge? Sure. When are you coming back? We miss you so much. And I keep seeing these <laughs> posts that are like, Sarah, don't worry. Like the fans like know that like even though you got screwed over, like you can come back. Come on. Like <laughs> like the reason I'm not coming back or not that I haven't got like gone in the last few seasons is because I'm worried what the people will think. That no guys, really I'm busy bizarre. living my life. Like Why it is strange. That? It like, it's so weird. I couldn't even put, it, it's hard for me to even put into words, like what the tone <laughs> of these messages that I get on Twitter are. And like, I'll look at the photos I'm tagged in and it'll be like, she should know that, you know, there's always a spot for her. I'm like, well, that thanks guys, but not, a, not interested. Don't save it for me. What do you think gives them the impression that you're just sitting around waiting for a phone call? I don't know. Right. May, I, yeah. May, I don't know. Cause like, uh, yeah, full schedule over here, guys. <laughs> Fully booked. That's New terrible. clients in crisis. Yeah, I was joking. I was at uh, uh, M- Michael's Arts and Crafts the other day, and this woman who was working there was like, oh my gosh, can I ask you a weird question? Are you that girl from the challenge? Like, and then she was like, why aren't you doing challenges anymore? I'm like, oh, well, you know, in a week I graduated, get my master's in therapy, so I'll be a therapist. And she was like, oh, well, I'm sorry you're not doing challenges. I'm like, well, I'm not. Oh, How about wow. congratulations? You're still in grad school. So like, you just like, it's so weird. It, like, people are sad when yes. I give them the answer that I... Um, I got my master's and I'm going to be a therapist. You know what's weird to me about that, though, is first of all, it's opposite world where the wrong things are valued, right? So going yep. on a car- garbage show is better than getting a master's in their eyes. Yes. However, if you keep doing the show, then they think you're a loser. Right. You can't win. You really can't. Yeah. So what's that about, sis? Um, I don't know, but it is a problem and it kind of makes me crazy. So I don't know the answer. It just, it just seems so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Obviously it's not personal or anything. It's just that the human brain, like the viewer in this case, really can't figure out what they want in a way. Right. 
Like they'll yeah. watch the show, but they think the people uh, on it are losers and they yeah. want you on it, but don't go for too long. I don't know. Yeah, you really can't win. I'm trying to think of like any exceptions, <clears throat> but I can't think of any. Well, I'm happy that you aren't on the show and that you're Yay. a master. They should call you a mastress. Oh, oh, well, brain candy brainiacs out there. Susie was so sweet and she sent me a, uh, a beautiful orchid that I opened up and the card said, congratulations, Master Sarah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use that forever. Yeah, you're like Master Splinter. On- yeah, forget doctor. Who needs that? Sorry, yeah. Sus. <laughs> Master is Master way seems cooler. like it holds more, uh, you know. Yeah, it's right. a. It seems like you have such authority. Yeah, ooh, I like that authority. You know, <laughs> somebody who's so scared of it from others. <laughs> right. You don't mind being the one to bring it, though. Right. Right. You know, um, before before we change the subject, I do have to say uh, shout out to. Believe it or not, I never thought I would say this one. Oh my God. That wet West Defender. He's yeah, on a, yeah. uh, Instagram, but he did the other day, did like a, uh, you know, and since I'm going to be talking about all the people who say the wrong things, might as well say somebody, call out somebody who said the right thing. He did a list of like WCW, like Women Crush Wednesday of like top yeah. five women on the challenge. <laughs> and he, I, I somehow made the list at number five. And he said that uh, the last line is says, um, she was 22 years old showing us how overcoming sexual about overcoming sexual assault and prove that anyone can do anything mm. on the challenge if they try hard enough. Now she's thriving in grad school. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you, West Defender. That feels totally right. saw me, recognized me, and also is giving props and respect to what I'm doing now. That's, That's like the cool. first time that ha- has happened. And also the first time, like, you know, that like just came up on my feed like this morning. And so I got to say, you know, somebody did the right thing. That feels good. And yes, it does. I think the Brainiacs Thanks, are very proud of you and happy. Oh, you know. they are the best. Shout out to Kara. Kara. Oh, my God. I do that every single time. Shout out to Kara, who uh, uh, wrote me a nice letter. And it was, like, delivered to my house with a nice little seal. She did one of those, like, like fancy, you know, wax seals on it, just, like, congratulating me. And I just feel so much love. It's the Wait, best. Who is this person? You know, Kara from the uh, – Kara – that every single time. Kara McSweeney from the show. Oh, Kara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I wasn't sure because yeah. when you say Kara, then I think you mean Kara Maria. I know. I do it every single no, time because no, no, no. in my head, I always confuse the two and then, Yeah, you know. Kara McSweeney. She's the best. She's yes, a sweetheart. The best. So um, sweet. So, okay. We, we will change the subject. And yes. uh, first I want to talk about how you're about... you. Well, actually, when this comes out, you'll be on... About to be going on your road trip, which you Whoa, claim is your ba- yeah. baby-making road trip. And I'm wondering, yes. are you going to wear your Ava bracelet on your journey? Absolutely. <laughs> I am so excited that I have something that is going to be so much more reliable mm-hmm. than a lot of the other, like, oh, guess, yes. sort of, like, yeah. you know, app trackers and stuff. And that didn't work for me. They were way off. I need something that looks at my more of my biological Yeah, it's more like, personal. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So Ava Bracelet is a company that helps women track their cycle, whether they're maybe trying to get pregnant or if they just want to know, you know, what's going on in their body. Because there's so much variation amongst women. 
Like we yes. think of the cycle as being sort of set, but it sure as heck isn't. Mine isn't. So there you go. <laughs> Ava is clinically proven to detect the five most fertile days of your cycle. So if, like Sarah, if you're popping in your airstream and want to get down and get pregnant, you can <laughs> wear this. You wear it at night and it is comfortable and stylish, but it only needs to be worn while you're sleeping. And it really will track what is going on in your body and when maybe you should, if you're trying, have do the nasty and yes. then get preggers. Ladies, it's finally time to understand your body. Visit avawomen.com to learn more. And for uh, listeners of our program, you get $20 off your order by going to avawomen.com slash brain candy and use our code brain candy. That's avawomen.com slash brain candy, code brain candy for wherever you are in life and whatever you want to know about your body. I saw on their website that um, there's an option where you can get one and it has like some sort of guarantee if you get you to get pregnant within a year or something. Did you see that option? I, I did not. But and I was like, that's what I would up. go I just like for. picked the standard model. But, <laughs> you know, I yeah, feel right. like the amount of money that I spent yeah. on freaking ovulation sticks, yeah. they're so expensive. Yeah. And I was using them, every, like buying that three pack every month. Well, remember it's so when you great bought to have those... something that... Oh, you bought those super cheap ones at first and yep. it, like we couldn't even figure out how to work them. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That was the stick that I used. They, and they also included in the ovulation pack because I bought the cheap pack that was like a million of them. And they're like, here are five free pregnancy tests that were equally as awful in detecting <laughs> that. And that was how we found out we were pregnant, but we were really not sure. And it was like, <laughs> so I, we had to go out and buy four other pregnancy that tests. So like, don't do that stuff. <laughs> Um, Don't waste your time or money. I want to talk about, because we need to sort of close out the discussion about that Instagram troll that we were going to call. Right. Okay. So we told you guys how I had this troll and I wanted to have him on the show to talk about how he was inappropriate on my Instagram when he said, like, made a joke about my boobs in a picture where I was with my son. Anyway, we scheduled a time where Sarah and I were going to call him. Sarah and I tried three times to call this guy. And Mm -hmm. we were starting to think maybe he gave us the wrong number or something, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. to punk us. Right. And then after we recorded that day, I saw on my Instagram, he left me a mean message under one of the pictures saying like, I can't believe you. You didn't call me after all. And you called me out in front of your blah, 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 but you never even called whatever. Then- I sent him a private message and I was like, dude, we tried to call you a bunch of times and it said it wouldn't go through. And he was like, you're as fake as the things hanging off your chest. Oh, hell no. (laughs) Sarah. I can go through all my favorite curse words right now. (laughs) What the heck? Right. He was just looking for anything. For sure. And felt, you know what? I just went to this training on uh, this like form of couples therapy that looks at any problem or any like reactions that we have as really just us playing out our vulnerabilities where Mm. anytime we become reactive, it's never the problem. It's never what we're arguing about. It's never the phone. Like for example, in this situation, it's not the phone call. Mm -hmm. It's the vulnerability that that 
missing the phone call or that response or whatever brought out, like triggered in us Mm -hmm. where it's like all of a sudden he doesn't have the power. He feels powerless. And so that triggers a vulnerability in him Mm -hmm. that makes him have to defend that vulnerability by lashing out with and like what, however people defend or like that vulnerability is like their survival stance. So they'll either be like the placator or they'll be the um, blamer and like point the finger or they'll be like the martyr and, you know, or they're really like super logical where it's like, well, here was the time and you didn't say it. Like however they respond is like their, it's usually, it's very consistent. Right. Well, his pattern seems to be misogyny. (laughs) Yeah, he's the blamer. Right. He's the blaming misogynist. Yeah. I just was like, oh, so we were going to have a conversation about how you're going to do better and not comment about women's bodies, and then you get mad and comment on my body. Okay. Right. So I was glad that we didn't get through to him. It was a blessing in disguise because that's not the kind of person that I want to um, amplify. (sighs) Right. You don't want to give that person, that voice a platform. No. But right. I just wanted to give people a follow-up. That's what ended oh, up God. happening. So there's no closure, but there is a sense of I hate his guts. Yeah. I was thinking so much after our conversation a, a couple, maybe it was like a week or two ago, just about the confidence of the white male yeah. and how it's like even I, – I just don't – I don't understand it. I don't have that same – that same thing that makes them say, well, I, you know, they said no to me, what, but that just is a no now. What about tomorrow? No, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, you know. I see it in my own son, though. I see someone who is irrationally confident. It's like a sense of entitlement that we Absolutely. don't know. Like, how the heck did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. The whole world t- tells them all the time that their yeah. opinions matter, so they really believe it. Yeah. Imagine if we did that with girls. Be nice. (laughs) Imagine. It'd be nice. Yeah. Your opinion counts. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So that's so strange. Yeah. That's depressing. Um, I have a follow up for you about the pooper intendant. Oh, oh my gosh. Please. You're going to be so happy. Okay. This is great. Tell me. It's almost annoying to me how, how right you are all the time. Oh, (laughs) yes. I love a sentence that starts like that. (laughs) So the pooper intendant, first of all, is angry that the police um, released his mugshot. So Mm -hmm. he, I think he might even be suing them for defamation or something. Defamation. That sounds too close to defecation and too hilarious of a (laughs) headline that this guy's just walking into. And he claims... That Sarah's theory is correct, that he simply has runner's diarrhea. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is hilarious. He, what, what if, if he, they like listened to the yeah. podcast and it was like, perfect defense, IBS it is. Yep. <laughs> Sarah claimed, so this guy, this superintendent is a superintendent at a school who was caught pooping on the school's track. And I think it was a repeated offense. Yes. And eventually they had been wondering, like, who's pooping on the thing? <laughs> okay. Let's say you have runner's diarrhea. This Correct. Could, a real thing. Yeah. You still have to clean it up. Right. 
Well, and also if you know, okay, so it was, it's something that happened repeatedly. So if you like, (laughs) there are solutions to this, you know, Landon and I used to run, used to run together in the mornings and we would always make sure to have our really strong coffee before and hit the restroom before. Yeah. Let it out. That's like what you do. And then you go on your run. Yes. You do have somewhat of like you would, you have some sort of control over your, your body. Well, and you know they have products that you can wear if you might leak or something. Yeah, and like, how many times do you <laughs> shit on the side of the <laughs> track before you go? Maybe I should like, you know, get a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> and wasn't he going to? It was another school, though, right? I believe it was his school, but I don't know. Okay. See, that makes more sense. Like, cause I was under the impression that it was another school too. <laughs> and that this was something out of like, like re- revenge shitting or something. Revenge. You know, but I'm knowing dying. that he's on his own track is like, I love there's the no, idea. there's no malice here. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. He claims he has a condition. But as I said, that condition does not include your inability to clean up after your own diarrhea. Yeah, yeah. I, Are I there laws forget. about that? Like, yes, there's got to be, right? I mean, if yeah. we've got to clean up after our dog, you probably have to clean up after for your own sh- For sure. You're not even yeah. supposed to go in. Yeah. <laughs> good. Also good point. At any rate, I don't know what will end up happening, but he did lose his job. I wonder if he had to like serve oh. time. <laughs> God, could you imagine? What are you in here for? Murder. What are you in here for? Pooping. <laughs> Runner's diarrhea. Runner's di- IBS. <laughs> I just have some bad luck. Some shitty yeah. luck, as it were. Some shitty luck. <laughs> oh, my God. And it, I don't know what it says about us. Yes, I do. That people <laughs> are tagging us in like these updates. Susie, re- here's the update on the pooper intendant for your show. Because they know we need to know, and we love this, and this is gold. This is this is right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> like, I don't want to admit it, but it is the truth. Yeah. Okay, well, so pooper intendant, that's kind of gross and stinky, and we don't like stinky. <laughs> no. Nope. And as a result, Sarah and I use Myro deodorant. Yep, keep it in my work bag. Here, <laughs> do you really? Uh, 100%. That's really a good idea, actually. I should probably yeah. keep one in the car. Because um, I got to re-up halfway through the day, you know, because like <laughs> it gets, uh, I, I, I get, she gets I'm intense. <laughs> yeah. Myro is a great deodorant option, especially if you, like me, are trying to cut down on your waste, which is something yes. both Lincoln and I are trying to do together. And so they send you a holder uh, that you then put in the refills of your deodorant each month. So you have far less waste. And I always worried that the kind of, what do you call them? The kind without the chemicals and stuff, the oh, natural deodorant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I always worried that they don't really work because mm-hmm. some of the ones I've tried didn't. Mm-hmm. But this really works for me. And it's a custom blend of essential oils that release over time. They keep you fresh. It's not like it just covers it up. It just, it really yeah. works. And yes. you can choose your scent and you also can choose the color of your case. And then you get a refresh every three months delivered straight to your door. And so it's refillable and um, good for the planet, but also works, which is really all you can ask. I love and the scents. 
Me too. I like try none of that like once. weird powdery like like I don't want to smell like baby powder. <laughs> right. This is like I They're smell fresh. like an actual person, not a baby. Right. And you can get the deal today. You get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro.com slash brain candy and use code candy. Again, that's 50% off your first order. Get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro, that's M-Y-M-Y-R-O.com slash brain candy and use code candy. Awesome. Uh, Well, I have a funny story about... Mm, another sort of wrongdoing that somebody r- righted, I guess, okay. or, or tried to fight back against. So there's this guy who, mm-hmm. now uh, his, I can't remember his name. Dang, I should have written down his name to give this guy credit. Uh, but we'll find it. Uh, so he kept having packages stolen off of his front porch Mm -hmm. the amazon packages you know like delivered and he lives in a neighborhood where there's a lot of people who can walk by and people like i didn't know people were doing this a lot but they are this is like a thing stealing packages off of the front porch so he put up some cameras and he's like okay i need to find out who's doing this and sure enough there are like multiple people who are stealing boxes off of his porch so the guy's like, man, I really like, what am I going to do? Oh, wait, I'm an ex-NASA engineer, which he was, who, by the way, this guy is so handsome. I mean, you would think that he's like, like definitely supposed to be on the cover of like, I don't know, a magazine or something. Wow. And then he tells you he's an, a NASA right. engineer. And I'm like, oh, be still my heart. Like <laughs> so handsome, so smart. And he's like, well, I'm going to invent something and I'm going to show these guys, you know, what's up. So he created this box that looks like an Amazon, like electronic, like looks like it's going to be like a, one of those, you know, like Alexa or whatever things. Mm-hmm. And uh, he set it up. So there are cameras that can see like you hold the box and the way the cameras are positioned and the way that they're like holes cut in the box in any direction you hold this box you get like a full view of like a 360 view of the uh uh you know everything that this box sees so you see the person you see where they are you see what they're doing and he made this box so when you try to open it it's essentially a booby trap when you open it it has, Suze, we would both be so upset if we picked up this box. Mm, glitter? Yes! No! Good guess! <laughs> so he created this, like, essentially like a glitter cannon. Mm. And when you pull it up, it's, it's this thing that spins really, really fast and uses, like, centrifugal force to just spray the finest glitter he could find. Like, the finest glitter that they even manufacture. Oh, my God. Like, so intense right in all these different colors and he put that in the box so when you open it up it explodes but that wasn't it they also set it up so there's this can of like no joke this is what it's called fart spray (laughs) and he set it up so that it it sprays five sprays every 30 seconds until you get rid of this box what and then he he put gps like he put phones in there with the cameras so you can gps track where the box is find its location go pick it up see who did it and the video four people this this worked on four different people and he has all the videos Mm. like you can watch the the montage of people opening it and being pissed about it and like one guy the glitter just sprays everywhere and he just 
stares at the camera and like the the underneath the the little like the screen says contemplates his life like he just <laughs> stares contemplates his life choices and it's just glitter everywhere and the like my favorite part aside from the glitter was that he labeled all the boxes the return labels and everything on the box the package was addressed to kevin McAllister with the address <laughs> from the the exact address of the house from home alone this is and so great. The, it's great and the package the return address is the the two like uh, uh burglars oh my god it's so perfect this guy is like our dream man. I know. He really is. When you see the video, which I absolutely am going to share because it's so good, you'll be like, oh my God, is he single? Is there a brainiac we can hook him up with? <laughs> Do you think he reports these people to the police or anything or it's just for his own amusement? I think it's just for his own amusement. Oh, you know what? That was it. He did try to go to the police. He told them and they said it's really not worth our time. Like we can't, there's not much we can do. Why? This isn't like worth it to us. It's too hard to find out who did it. They can't track it. This is happening so frequently. The packages like aren't over the dollar amount that would be like grand theft wow. or whatever. And so people like just don't care about this. That bums me out. Yeah, it but, is really sad. Like when my parking meter runs out, they're on top of that. No joke. <laughs> right. Oh. I just saw yesterday that if you use your cell phone in the car, like if they see you holding it or using your cell phone out mm-hmm. here it's a thousand dollar fine for the first offense and you lose your license for three years holy fuck <laughs> which is okay. great but it oh is my great. god i didn't know that was the con- good thing i don't use my my phone in the car that man that could you intense. imagine oh landon should definitely not be doing that that would suck three three years of no license right oh gosh I know. And then you got to take the bus and then people think that you got a DUI. <laughs> a DUI. Right, I'll see Landon on his bike. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Landon. Um, uh, just texting on my phone. No well, big deal. Speaking of Amazon, I was reading this article about people that buy their wedding dresses on Amazon. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting because, I've, you know, most of us, if we need something, that's pretty much a first place you go is like, oh, I'll just get it on Amazon. But it yeah. never occurred to me that you might buy a wedding dress on there. Would you ever do that? Hmm. What's the return policy? Oh. Can I drop, can I drop it off at Kohl's without a box? <laughs> like, the, like, like I could do it with my other Amazon stuff. In that well, case, yeah, if I can try it on. I guess it, it yeah. made sense to me when I read that, you know, if you are needing to get married quickly and, yeah. you know, if your body type is t- the type that doesn't need a lot of alterations... Mm-hmm. Then I guess it would be great because you can get them. It says for as low as seventy bucks. Oh my god! Yeah, and also like I, I'll say it again, my wedding dress was the least important part of probably the whole wedding to me. Right. I don't know why, and it's so strange because it's not what I would have thought would. Yeah. Like my, I really didn't care. Like the, I was just happiest in the dress. I should have just bought it. The one that was like two hundred bucks from. Uh, like David's bridal. And right. I was like, oh, this is, I like this. Yeah. But then see? people, and I liked that. But then, like, my, the people I was with and my mom, they're like, no, no, no. You look, yeah. you've got such a budget for your dress. Go to the nice, like, go get the. I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. I would have been super, and knowing me, I'm happier with something that was like 75% off yeah. <laughs> than I am with like a full priced, you know, something that would be perfect. I wouldn't like that one as much. 
Right. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people for whom this would be a great option. And typically yeah. I'm more about like encouraging people to shop at you know boutiques or small businesses. But if you're in a pinch and you have a budget, this might be a good thing to try. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I also am not like I think, you know, used ones. Is that weird? Yeah, for sure. I'm all like, for that. Me too. Because people only wear them once. <laughs> I right. It kills me that that the cost per wear on mine is woo. I um, know. Would yeah. you ever sell it though? Or are you saving it for your daughter or something? Ah, <sighs> yeah. I mean, I'm keeping it, but I feel like I wouldn't be the kind of mom who would who would like force their force that on their right child. You know? Yeah. You just keep yeah. it for sentimental reasons. Yeah, or like I'll turn it into something. Like I'll make yeah. some you know, pillow out of the lace or something like that. Yeah. Right. Be some different way to, you know, but I didn't even get it cleaned afterwards. Me neither. <laughs> it's just hanging there. We're losers. Probably has like cake stains on it. <laughs> cake. I mean, More no. like wine. If you had wine. Yeah, I did. Um, Definitely did. I'll tell you what, one fabric that's not cheap at all is fabletics. Fabletics. Oh, I was just having a conversation with the girls at school about this, about how they're our favorite pants. And the girl, one of the gals, shout out to Bridget, was like, they don't pill. That's don't. the best part. Yeah. She's like, I can wear these and all my other ones get destroyed. And we were talking about how much we loved the quality that's of the what, pants. That's what I'm really taken by because usually when you have something that's really affordable, you kind of get what you pay for. Right. And I hate that. <laughs> Correct. And Fabletics is really affordable, but really high quality, which is impressive to me. And I think they're very flattering, the way that they fit my body. I don't know. Yes, they are. Those high-waisted. Oh. Yeah. They have all different cuts, and the ones I like are all the high-waisted ones. But, I mean, they aren't just leggings either. I just got a... Um, a little jacket, a white jacket, and it's so nice. And you can just, when you wash it, it gets super bright and beautiful. You know how white usually gets dingy? It's really mm-hmm. beautiful and nice. I just wear it to like all of Lincoln's soccer games and stuff. And they oh, have cute. a really great deal for our listeners. Um, they are giving you guys two pair of leggings for 24 bucks, which is almost half the price of a Lululemon sports bra. I mean, th- we're talking oh, about, my God. you know... What you can get for 24 bucks is just incredible. And you can get it at fabletics.com slash brain candy when you sign up for the VIP program. Just go to fabletics.com slash brain candy to take advantage of the deal. They have leggings. They have basically all the athleisure stuff that everyone always wants and that you can wear running around town or working out, whatever you're comfortable in. It's super cute. It's comfy. They have clothes that fit your curves and flatter you. Yes. It's yeah. just real nice. So fabletics.com yeah. slash brain candy and get that deal. 24 bucks for two pairs of leggings, which is a $99 value. Yeah. My friend was like, oh, I don't know. Do I want to sign up for the VIP program? I don't know if I want. And then she's like, wait a sec. I can pause it every month? Yeah. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of great stuff. And it does encourage me to be more active. <laughs> I need yep. all the encouragement I can yep. get. Yep. <laughs> Nothing makes me want to go work out more than a cute workout outfit. Right? Like, I got to show this bad boy off. Um, okay. I have so many things to discuss. Is Ooh, there yay. something on your mind that you want to talk about first? Mm, lay it on me, sister. Um, okay. So 
A woman's sex toy. One. Oh, a- I saw this. What? Oh, I'm th- so mad. <laughs> Tell the people. Okay, so there was a robotics award that. Ugh. The winner was a woman's sex toy, and then it was revoked because yes. they claimed that in the rules, nothing can win if it's, you know, crude or offensive or whatever, which when mm-hmm. I first read it, I thought, okay, well, that's fair. You know, it's in the rules. And Same. then it yep. said, but men's sex toys win all the time. All and, the time. Yeah. It's furious. Like they all had... M- all, every single year, entries and winners that were those like virtual reality. There was even virtual reality porn. Right. And that's okay. That was with okay. Them. But I can't even with this story. <laughs> but help me understand because when I hear these stories, which I feel like I'm hearing them more and more, I just don't get how this comes to be. Why men's behavior is seen as acceptable and when women do it it's seen as crude <sighs> it's just how oh, how does that double standard begin where now where did this the one the thing i didn't read in the article was where this took place um that is a good point i feel like it was in japan or china or some oh really Easter. Like, I look. don't think it was in the United States. I'll look. Yeah. And what it, what would that mean to you? I would just, I think it has maybe something to do with just gender in wherever it is, wherever this is like, I don't know. So you think it's a cultural thing? Yeah. Okay. Which is messed up, and we absolutely need to. And they said they're updating the rules, this but this says is the, the one in next year's in Las Vegas. So okay, well there goes my theory. I don't know about it's last not. Year, this but... is just okay. This is international. I mean, this that isn't is, like that is so annoying to me. And how did it get to the point where it won? Which you know, and then because I think it was voted on. I think it's one of those things where uh... it's. Okay. It's voted on, and then they went, whoa, 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 hang I on, see, look at I that see. winner. Uh, that can't be. Right. And then revoked it, and then there was so much backlash and people going, uh, excuse me, that they three months later, they reinstated the award to, or I don't know, re, re whatever you call it. They Man. like were, gave it back, essentially. It just, I just don't know what to say, but it's infuriating and I'm happy that they gave the award back and they're just trying to cover up being like, well, you know, we're looking into it and trying to make things fair. Well, it's real easy. Just do mm. it. Don't disqualify yeah. women for the same work that you reward men for. It's just, and the fact that this was a sex, first of all, I want to know what the heck the sex toy is and now I'm going to need it because- <laughs> Like, this is clearly the best thing out there. Right. What's so great about this thing? Well, yeah. I'm like, what's, come on. We get to share, please. <laughs> um, but the, the fact that it was designed, I wonder if it would have been different if it were designed by a man. Right. Because this was designed by a woman. Right. It's a woman's product. Laura and DiCarlo a woman. is her uh-huh. name. Good uh-huh. point. Yes. Yeah, okay, so the article that I I just pulled up says the CTA, which is like the Consumer Technology Association. So I think it was voted on by the public, Consumer Technology Association. Uh, It said they're returning Laura DiCarlo's award, but it isn't ready to discuss what kind of changes 
will be implemented to make the conference more inclusive in the f- future. Like, not ready? Let's see. Come on. Yeah. That means they're, like, still deciding how they're going to make it unfair to women somehow. I'm really tired of that idea of, is the world ready for a woman president or is the world ready for a black whatever? Like, stop asking that question. What does that even and mean? The, yeah. Are people asking that question? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck off. You know, the media, they tend to frame things that way. Like, is the world ready for this thing that they should be ready for? Like implying that we sh- in some way, like, this is something to be fearful of or like... Yeah, just sort of like, let's slow things down. Like, one thing at a time, everybody. Oh, you want to go in whatever bathroom you want? Oh, pump the brakes on this equality. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, another interesting <clears throat> thing that was about this this year where this award was revoked um it was the same year that the cta launched a 10 million dollar venture to quote uh fund women people of color and other underrepresented startups and entrepreneurs to improve representation well good job doing the opposite of what you set out to do that year guys oh my god as long as nobody's sexual okay just the men are allowed to be just the men I mean, come on. It's infuriating. I just, I, I read it and I was like, well, guaranteed we're going to be talking about this tomorrow. <laughs> were we tagged in that? Probably. I think we Probably. were. Probably. Yeah. People know, how it. People know how to make us angry. Yeah. Oh my God. It's I, so crazy. Kind of speaking of uh, sex stuff, I saw that Pornhub is donating to bee conservation for every time someone watches one of their bee sexual videos, which are (laughs) just bees banging and like pollinating flowers and stuff. And they're narrated by adult film stars. Oh my God. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. They said they wanted to help with the bee problem because 70% of food is directly from bees banging flowers. And, um, so that's how they decided to do it, and I thought it was really funny. Oh, this is – I. my friend Courtney, shout out to Courtney, told me this <laughs> story – not story, like true fact the other day that made me like, oh, the patriarchy. We were having one of those conversations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you do. <laughs> what else And do? Uh, she was saying that we can even blame, like, the patriarchy for allergies. And I was my. like, go on. So – when uh, people who are like designing cities and, and especially like what flowers and plants they're going to put in it, things like that, they tend to only choose male plants because they like reproduce faster. There's something about the, the, like oh the, why God. they chose male plants. And because the majority of plants that get planted are male plants, they don't do the same stuff that female plants do. Like female plants are there to, to, you know, like pollinate and like grow and more plants grow. And like, you can like more biodiversity when you include female plants. And because they chose, like, I don't even know how they did this or what, what it was, but the majority of plants that get planted are even like grown tend to be more like male plants and it affects the pollination and like allergies and how everything like works together and the plants won't thrive because there aren't enough females. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. And I got, I got to find some article that shows the details of that, but she was telling me all about this and she's always right with her information. So I was like, <laughs> oh, definitely I, sharing that. This is going to sound silly, but I, I didn't realize plants had genders in that way. I, I know that yes. like, for instance, 
certain bushes like the holly bush there's a male and a female and you know you Mm -hmm. need both to whatever the heck that's called germinate or pollinate or whatever Mm -hmm. but um is that true for all plants i think well i think they're like male and female parts of plants and things like that i I have to like do some research on there's like weird different parts all right of those plants, but there was something that she, you know, I'm going to find the research on this, but it was basically Gosh. like she was saying, well, they're so planting the wrong kind of plants and they're not planting ones that they're patriarchal plants. That's all I need. Essentially. To know. Yes. That's <laughs> all I need to know. Yeah. Yep, yep. um, the other thing that I need to know is how to manage my, uh, finances and all the administrative stuff of running a small business, which is a pain in my behind. And HoneyBook is helping me do that now. HoneyBook is such a great system for anybody who's a person who has a small business, especially people like me who are in the creative industry and can't be bothered with invoicing and keeping things organized in the way that I should. And HoneyBook consolidates services I already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, and MailChimp. So if you're a photographer, a designer, an entrepreneur, whatever, you can save hundreds to thousands of hours a year by using HoneyBook to keep everything organized. Such a great idea. And Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off your first year with promo code BRAINCANDY. Payments flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code BRAINCANDY for 50% off your first year. Get paid faster and work smarter with HoneyBook.com. Promo code BRAINCANDY. Keep that in mind, okay. Sarah. Okay. Yeah. I just did a quick Google search because I was like, I need to get some more information yeah, on this. What'd you find and out? I pulled up a, an article from Scientific American, and the title of the article is Botanical Sexism Cultivates Homegrown Allergies. You may be surprised to learn that decades of botanical sexism in urban (laughs) landscapes have contributed to your watery eyes and itchy nose. I'm so excited about that. If I ever have a band, I'm going to call it botanical sexism. Arborists often claim that all male plants are litter-free because they shed no messy seeds, fruits, or pods. In the 1949 USDA Yearbook of Agriculture, which focused on trees and forests, the advice was given to readers, use... When used for street planting, only male trees should be selected to avoid the nuances from seeds. In the years following, the USDA produced and released that news into the market, and almost 100 new red maples and hybrid maples were made with every single one, and every single one of them was male. So they planted all these male (laughs) trees, and it basically made it so... There aren't female trees to balance it out, and it created this huge, like, pollen problem and allergy problem. Wow. Yeah. Botanical sexism. Yes. Is that crazy? Yes. I'm definitely putting this article in the newsletter, because she (laughs) said that, and I was like, no way. And I was like, let's see. Sure enough, Courtney's right. She always is. So they prefer male plants because they're neater and not as messy. It's like the opposite of human males. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that's so true it's ridiculous oh and then turns out that those things that are that mess that you didn't want to clean up are exactly what we need for the plants to pollinate for them to grow for them to multiply for them to like you know for lack of a better word grow roots and and can you know like spread into the city and do what plants are supposed to do and keep the air clean and blah 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 nope wow good yeah. to know now i can be yep. mad at people who are planting things too 
Yes. I'm just going to have to make a list of all the people. That's like that one. And this was, you know, 19, what did they say? Like 1949 or something. This is what happens is once again, that, that little piece of information that gets out there and then like catches, you know, Mm. like takes off and then it gets spread and it's incorrect. Don't you love that you have a smart friend who told you about this? Yes. I totally love it. Yeah. It's the best. And like, you know, I love when I find a friend who's like me, who's like, oh, I found this article. Oh, I found this article. I'm like, (laughs) yes, send them to me. It's so great. Well, uh, what's the plan with that? Are they just going to keep doing it or are they trying to undo the botanical sexism or what? Oh, I don't know. Are we just stuck forever? Mm. I mean, I think we should be planting way more. I think we should look at like Singapore as a, uh, uh, you know, like a model. I wonder what trees they're using over there. What makes you think that they're the model? I think they've done a really great, since it's a newer city, they've Mm -hmm. done a really great job integrating nature in with the um, like cityscape. So all of their, not all, but a lot of their buildings have like rooftop uh, gardens or they have like the sides of the buildings have, are all plants down the whole side. Like they've really made an effort to like make it really green and Hmm. and like blend nature and you know, technology. All right. Well, we got things, we got progress to make then. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> more, more plants. Now I'm going to go to the, the plants room and be like, where are your female plants? <laughs> this actually, They're going to be like, so, uh, I'm sorry, what? Up. I know it totally does. But it's like one of those things where you can like seedless watermelon kind of thing. <laughs> right. I think they, I think they like breed them so that they don't have these like, yeah, gotcha. they don't drop a lot of leaves. And then in the process, they're like, oh, actually unintended consequences by doing that. So, okay. Seasonal yep, allergies. Yep, yep. yep. Did you see the post that I put up on the Brain Candy Instagram a couple weeks ago? It was in reference to an article by The Cut where they were asking, what secret items do you keep in your underwear drawer? Oh, I think I did see a little bit of that. Because I just thought that was funny because, I don't know, I think a lot of people keep something in there other than underwear. I know, I'm like, oh, mine's just underwear. Oh, really? You don't keep anything else in there? The only thing that... I, I mean, I have a, a lavender sachet pack that also goes in there to make things smell nice. I okay. don't know why. So you don't keep any kind of like special, sentimental thing? In my underwear. Uh-uh. Nothing. It's very organized. Just bras and underwear. They share the same drawer. Huh. Every now and then a tag that I rip off and then I'm too lazy to throw in the trash, so I just shove in there too. I'm surprised because you have so many sentimental things. Yep. Well, I have a special trunk that I put them in. Right, that's true. I keep my sentimental things in their sentimental place. Let me see if I can find some of people's responses. They were real funny. A lot of people kept like cards, special sentimental My cards. mom did. I remember growing up, my mom, like I was like a snooper, like a kid who looked yeah, in every single drawer. I sure. loved doing that. Oh, yeah. I was so snooping. I still do. Yep, same. Uh, I apologize for nothing. I'm like, I'm just organizing a drawer slash snooping. Uh, so she would, she kept, oh, she kept bizarre things in there. She kept, I think I've even mentioned this before. She kept my grandfather's and my dog's ashes were in a little drawer. She had a very big uh, top underwear drawer. Mm-hmm. And uh, also like little like cards. She had like cards from, I don't know when, she just had like a little box in there that had 
sentimental stuff, and it was in her underwear drawer. It's funny how that was is a thing. It's almost like your brain just thinks this is intimates, and so <gasps> yeah, you know, that's like, probably it. Yeah, and people maybe not even aware of it. It just comes with I don't know their brain. Yeah, one girl said she keeps her diary in there. Um, classic. Yeah. The obituary my dad wrote for himself. He's nowhere near close to passing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's funny. I feel like you would do something like that. (laughs) It totally is. Right. You're like, right. You're like, this is what I would like it to say people. Her last one though is dog's teeth. Her dog's teeth. Okay. Well that's close to the dog's ashes. True. Um, Yeah, and then someone else said, can I tell you the abundance of baby teeth my husband has kept? What on earth are you supposed to do with them? I mean, that's common though. Yes, it is. I'm going to be like that for sure. Hope says uh, she she keeps all her shady shit in the nightstand. (laughs) Shady shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's where I keep mine. Um, And it's really weird. I've got like my childhood stuffed animal that I love. Shout out to Lammy. And uh, it happens to be in the same drawer as my female sex toy. Interesting. It's like, I always feel kind of, I'm like, I don't know if you guys should share the same drawer. Well, it's basically it like your childhood toy and your grown-up toy. Yes, exactly. I don't use them together for the record. Somebody says candy. She's got to hide it from her husband. <laughs> and then this is funny. Receipts to hide the evidence of my secret shopping extravaganzas from my uh-huh. husband. Okay, I get things. I get that. You know what's so funny? Okay, the, that is the drawer where I do hide tags. But I have the opposite problem where I'll buy things at like Nordstrom Rack, and then I'll have to take off the sale tag and leave the high price tag on it, so that my husband doesn't think I'm cheaping out and buying cheap clothes. Because he's like, "Stop shopping at Forever Twenty One. Stop buying disposable clothes." <laughs> You're the clothes. opposite. Stop. It, I have the opposite problem. Really, he's like, "Can you like actually like take care of like don't buy the things that like you know." Oh my God. I love him. I know. That's my favorite Every, thing. Right? I right. just love when, when, cause Adam's like that too. Like he, he encourages me to buy stuff and I cause think we don't so do it that often. True. Yeah. That's Maybe. it. If yeah. we were like big spenders, it would be different, but <laughs> he's like, honey, you know, you don't have to live like your 21 year old college student anymore. I've grown more into that. I think we've talked about this too, about how you know, especially for something clothing that you want to get the most out of, buying yes. cheap isn't always the best, you know. Correct. Yeah. And what's wrong with me that I will find something that I love, but it's full price and I'm like, nope, I'm not, I won't buy it. That I'm not deserving of that. Yeah, And that's then I'll find to, something yeah. on a sale rack that I k- kind of like and I'll be like, okay, that I deserve. Like, but I don't Aww. like it as much, you know. That makes me sad. I know. I got to get over that. That is a really that that is a silly thing to do. And I'm trying really hard to like because the things that I have like you know like just said Sarah just save up and just get it for yourself. I really always really like, and I need to do more of that than just like you know. Well, because you value it more and you appreciate how yes, much time yes, it took yes, to save yes. and all of that. Yeah. And he's right. I mean, I do buy the disposable clothes. But for a white t-shirt, I mean, for goodness sake, They get ruined anyway. You might as well buy two. Right. So, like, that's why I have to, like, hide the Forever 20. I'm like, I just bought, like, white shirts. So I have to, like, hide the Forever 21 tag. So that's what the drawer I hide those <laughs> so in sad. until I can get well, them to the trash can. One thing you should not be keeping in drawers is all those videotapes and... 
um, reels from your childhood videos, all that stuff for, that you never get to watch because they're yeah. just collecting dust, put away. And you should preserve it digitally with Legacy Box. I can't tell you how valuable this is as a gift. Like for, yeah. um, I got for my mom so that she could digitize mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. photos and videos that she has. If, you know, all of those holidays coming up, that yes. you're thinking, oh, what should I get people I love? This is such a nice gift. And Aww. then you guys can enjoy your memories together. Who doesn't love that? You know what I think people should do? Well, here's my little suggestion. Okay. For a person's birthday or for Father's Day or whatever day or Christmas or whatever, get them this gift. Then they digitalize like you know, get like all your videos from where, whatever that time period is. And even if you were able to do like all the videos of birthdays and then every year on that person's birthday, you can just watch the videos. again. That's a nice idea. I think people should do that. Or if you have somebody who passes away, I think it's really important to do something that's like, you know, like a memory of them. And like every year you sit down with the family and you, you know, you make like a new, um, tradition of like watching those because they just sit and yeah. like we can't enjoy them and there's so much joy that comes from watching like you know those videos from when we were younger and watching them all together as a family like do that stuff it's so great yeah because then you have the the event that happened and then you have the memories of watching it together so yes cumulative oh, so lovely there's yes, never been yes, yes, a yes. better time to digitally preserve your memories visit legacybox.com today to get started plus for a limited time they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount go to legacybox.com slash brain to get 40 percent off your first order go to legacybox.com slash brain and save 40 percent today get started preserving your past um we have a guest today oh yay <clears throat> i'm really excited about her her name is aisha Akhtar. She's a doctor. Hold on. Pardon me. And she wrote a wonderful book called Our Symphony with Animals on health, empathy, and our shared destinies. It is so good, Sarah. I love this. This is just like my Robert Sapolsky guy who talks about this kind of link. Yes. She does an amazing job describing why animals make us better humans. Oh, I'm loving this. They do. <laughs> we definitely need to look at the plant, the, the natural world for basically all of our lessons on how to be. I'm getting chills because it's so good. Oh, she describes obsessed. an experience growing up where she was sexually abused by a family member and how she physically lost her voice. She quit talking. And yeah. she talks about how language is the one of the last things that evolved in humans. And so it's one of the yes. first things to go when we're traumatized or, you know, experiencing something terrible. And what she learned through that was how we can communicate with animals. We don't need language in the traditional sense. And so she started exploring how that relationship works. And some of the things she did are, were so compelling to me. She visited a, a serial killer in jail who, you know how serial killers often um, abuse animals uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. in their childhood. And so she wanted to explore that and what that looks like. And she found some really surprising things about this man's relationship with animals. And it's not just sort of, he didn't care. And so he murdered them or whatever. It's really complicated. Yes. And it provides oh so God. much insight into the human mind this is amazing. and behavior. You will love it. 
I'm so excited right now. This is so great. <laughs> You're the I'm best. reading that book. Like, <laughs> I think you will love it. Because it's so true. Anybody mm-hmm. who has a pet, like, they know. You can come in and be in like not such a good mood, and yep. your dog will come right over and put his paw on. Like they, you do not have to communicate with words. Yes, when you connect to an animal, and I know this. When I went to, and I like swam with a dolphin, mm-hmm. I looked in that dolphin's eyes, and I know it. I knew it. Like, yes, it could connect. It was the craziest feeling. I was like, "This animal is looking into my soul right now. It knows what I'm thinking. Yes. What is happening?" And I, I think knew you're it. Right? <gasps> oh, that gives me chills. Yeah, when I've been at the zoo, even when I've seen those gorillas, I've had mm-hmm. moments where I'm like, "I think I just had a connection with this yep. animal." Yeah, and I know that's a real thing. And she does such a good job of providing these stories and personal narratives, but then uses science to show what's really going on with the body and the brain. It's great. Yes. Oh, well. You'll love it. I know. I know my next book club pick. (laughs) So you guys should read it too, but please listen to this interview. I think you'll find it really interesting. Aisha Akhtar, our symphony with animals on health, empathy, and our shared destinies. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Susie. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay. So... First of all, congratulations on your beautiful book. How are you feeling now that people are reading it and commenting and all that jazz? You know, there's always a little bit of anxiety. You hope people like the book. You hope people think it's written well. And that the most important thing for me is that I hope people are influenced by the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that that was ultimately the goal is to try to, you know, hope get people to start thinking about how we think about animals as a whole, not only our companion animals, but all animals, and maybe, you know, inspire them to seek out a kinder world. Well, you did such a great job, and I was so impressed with how you provide great storytelling and narratives and examples of other folks who have experienced the healing of animals, but then you also provide a lot of data that I think people will be persuaded by, don't you think? Absolutely. And and that was my goal. I, I'd written a, an academic book um, previously on some of the same subjects, but, you know, it's an academic book. It can get pretty dry. So this time I really wanted a book that would go out to the average reader that was framed by narrative, but with the science and the data, you know, woven into it. Because we know that most people, we learn through stories. Yeah. And information sticks better through stories. So that was a, a definite goal of mine. Were you nervous at all to share uh, I, elements of your own personal life? You know, it's it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my past sexual abuse and then the uh, the repercussions I still experience, uh, experiencing depression today. Um, I don't think so. It, I, I didn't feel any anxiety about sharing that. You know, we now are living in a world where people are sharing perhaps <laughs> more than we need to all the time. So it, it's there's there's no stigma anymore or not as much about mm-hmm. sharing this kind of information. So that was never my concern. My uh, concern was I didn't want this to, de- to be a depressing book by mm-hmm. any means, mm-hmm. because even though I'm talking about some hard-hitting subjects, I wanted this overall to be an inspiring, optimistic, hopeful book. Yeah. And yeah. And the other thing, of course, is I didn't want this book to be about me. It's about all of us. I just used my past story to uh, introduce the topic and, and to introduce the theme of, of 
empathy for animals and to to show how now as a neurologist I'm exploring empathy for animals and and why. Yeah, I that's the word I would use is inspiring for the book because yeah, there's some sad elements about it and living on this planet there's sad elements of living in this world but you did such a great job of saying here's the good news and here's how the the interaction with animals can uh make our lives better so it's beautiful thank you Good. Um, Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I was really intrigued by your visit to the slaughterhouses and mm-hmm. I was fascinated by the lady who like volunteered to take you on these tours and thought that this was going to make you change your mind about them. How the heck did she think that was going to help? It's funny. Um, So it was a, I, I, I was taken on a tour of several of the factory farms in Oklahoma with um, a Dean of uh, I'm blanking on the exact name of the school, but one of the universities, an agricultural school at the university um, in Oklahoma, one of the largest in the country. So, you know, she was taking me, as you said, to sort of dispel what she thought were myths <laughs> that I had about, you know, the, the cruelty and the public health dangers of factory farms. And if anything, my tours just, <laughs> just you know, it confirmed, not only confirmed, but it was even worse than I expected it. And, you know, it, I think there, it's funny, when, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the term cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's a academic term people throw out where we kind of, we, we put aside information that goes against what we, what we, what we think, how we think things should be. So rather than when we're confronted by conflicting information, you know, ingesting it and um, changing perhaps because of that information, changing our behavior, changing our attitude. We instead, we kind of hold on to the initial attitude even more. And we compartmentalize the bits of information so that we can continue doing what we're doing, even if it confronts our own morality. So I think that was what was happening with the dean. I, I think she really did in one way, she, she, when I was talking with her, she, you know, she's a pleasant person and she really did on one hand think that they were doing what was good for animals by confining chickens five to a cage where they barely turn around, they can't stretch their wings. And, um, you know, but, but you get inklings. I, as I talked with her and I got inklings of some, some, uh, doubts about how animals were being treated. And I definitely got that with the the farmer himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely got with the farmer and his family who were very much, uh, you know, they were confronted with the realities of how they were treating these chickens. And, you know, they they kept doing it. But, as you know, in the book, they they really had some real uh, concerns and and doubts about what they were doing. Do you think that they're that they continue to do it because, you know, you got to make a living and that this was just the sort of the family business or I don't know. Why do you think? Because I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yeah, I know. Right. A lot of us, we say I can never do that. I think that's what happens is that people get into the business and they, in some ways they almost feel trapped. So this this particular uh, farmer, as I was speaking with him, um, 
the more I got to understand that he would, if he could go back in time, he would have done things differently and not gone into chicken or farming at all. Um, So I I think it's, you know, they, they, it's what they've done. It's what they're used to. And it's what they'll continue to do until maybe, you know, one, uh, another generation comes in and says, uh, we, we really don't want to take up the family business anymore, dad. I think we're going to end it here. Yeah. Well, I know that the causation is unclear in terms of uh, when a slaughterhouse comes to town and there there tends to be an increase in violence in the area. Um, I'm curious, though, what your theory is about what the cause of that is. Do you think they're desensitized or? Yeah. Yeah. And and so there have been some studies that do suggest, as you said, they've they've confirmed that violence does increase in once the slaughterhouse moves into town. And there have been a lot of theories thinking that it's just because there are more people um, who move into town. There's uh, job disruptions that the people, you know, thought maybe it's the brutality of the business. We know that slaughterhouse workers are not treated well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, these are the kinds of theories that were brought up. But one um, researcher really took this idea head on, and she wanted to find out if just inflicting violence of animals could mm-hmm. be the cause or a cause of violence that seeps into society. And so she did a, a very in-depth study that found a strong correlation between um, the violence inflicted on animals and the violence that um, uh, other forms of violence in those same towns where the slaughterhouse was. So she, what she did was she compared uh, the, the towns where there were slaughterhouses with towns where there were other types of industry that were just as stressful or hard or dangerous for the workers mm-hmm. and where there was still, you know, this disruption. So basically everything else was equal in, in a sense, except for the cruelty towards animals. Wow. And with the slaughterhouses, she found that, um, you know, her study really suggests that it was cruelty towards animals that really does lead significantly to other forms of cruelty, especially um, abuse of women and children. Wow. Can you believe that? It's, you know, what's what's really frustrating in a sense is that, you know, her study was done, oh gosh, several years ago, but there hasn't been any other follow-up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the most we can say is this is one study. It was a well-done study. It was a very large study, but other social scientists aren't aren't tackling this issue, aren't looking into this, even though there's a very real possibility that the violence we inflict on other animals is causing uh, violence uh, among humans as well. Do you suppose that the reason that there aren't more studies is because we as a culture are so invested in the money that can be made from eating and creating meat and meat pro- like animal product for people to buy? I think... Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, a good point, and I think that's definitely a big part of it. I also think that it's not just that we think, oh, I you know I'm making money off of this industry, but you think about it. Um, most of us, most people, are eating animals, mm-hmm. right? And so, even social scientists, they're eating animals, so it's difficult for them to take a look at an issue where you could argue that they're a bit of a culprit in this, <laughs> if, if, if this is true, right? If, yeah. if violence towards animals, cruelty towards animals does cause cruelty among humans, then any, you know, each of us 
who is supporting this violence towards animals were kind of culpable in a yeah. sense. Whether, you know, not not directly, not necessarily um, because we um, purposely are culpable, but in a sense we are. So I think it's a hard question for many people to take a look at for that reason. Yeah, it's inconvenient. I don't, you know, people don't want to change their behaviors and... Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't want to limit their meals, for example, or whatever. So it's almost an ignorance is bliss type situation. Exactly. That- but you, as you as you know, there's a, you know there's a huge huge. We've, we've gotten to this threshold now where we're seeing all these like lab grown meats and plant based products that are really taking off now. And even Burger King's now going to have the Impossible Burger. So I think that um, that reason to not look at animals because we eat them, it's going to become less and less of an issue over time. Do those shifts make you optimistic that people will be consuming less meat? Absolutely. You yeah. know, it's, uh, it's, it's, good for, it's good for the animals. It's good for the planet. We know that. And it's good for our health. And, you know, as a physician, I can tell you that we're getting, we're dying at younger and younger ages of strokes and heart disease and many forms of cancer, which are very much related to how we eat. So it's if you don't want to do it for the animals, maybe you could convince people to do it for themselves, right? Right. I was utterly fascinated by your visit with the serial killer. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that as well. Um, And I thought you did such a good job of, gosh, convincing him to open up to you. I mean, (laughs) was that really difficult for you to handle um, so, right, I, I, uh, I sort of developed, in a sense, a kind of a, a relationship with Keith Jasperson, who had killed eight women, is now serving at the Oregon State Penitentiary. And I reached out to him because as one of the questions it was not only to look at, you know, how our empathy for animals is good for our well-being, but also to look at um, how, what happens when we suppress our empathy for animals or how do we, you know, how is it that we're able to suppress our empathy for animals? And when we do so, is that bad for our well-being? No, not only as individuals, but as a society. So I started by looking at extreme cases of violence, such as a serial killer. And I really wanted to go beyond just the studies, um, the published studies, which don't give, provide a lot of information on the issue, but talk to someone, you know, um, one-on-one and learn about the, this person's past. And as you said, try to get this person to open up to me to really explore how his past behavior towards animals may have influenced who he became later on and how he was able to kill women in such a brutal fashion. And so when I reached out to Keith Jesperson, he, uh, he was, he was, the funny thing about with him, and I guess this is what you're going to encounter with a lot of these folks, is he was he was very suspicious throughout the beginning, and he you know he kind of tried to manipulate me and tried to play games with me and um, really was trying to push me to come and visit him in jail. And yet for a long time, I really didn't want to. I thought we were doing well just proceeding with phone calls and letters, and so there was there was that part that I had to deal with. There was the part of um, just dealing, learning about his violence. He would go into details of his violence towards animals. And, and then when I finally did uh, go and visit him, hearing the details about his violence towards women was really, really hard. 
um, it was it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was mm. to hear him talk about these issues. Um, but it was really important to do because even he he proved to me that even my um, I had a bias, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a preconceived notion of what I would hear from him. I thought I was going to hear from him that he had only bad relationships with animals as a child, that he was always cruel to animals. But I found out that was definitely not the case. He had some very poignant moments of empathy towards animals, which really stood out. And so that that allowed me to really explore, you know, what... So he had this innate empathy. He really did as a child. He had this compassion, this innate empathy. And so with him, I was able to explore what happened to that empathy? Yeah. How did it get squashed? You know, what, what, what pressures, what societal pressures, family pressures and other things caused him to suppress that empathy and do the things he did to animals and then later do the things he did to, to the women? And what, I know you describe it in the book, but it is just hard for me to wrap my head around how that made sense to him that, for example, this animals a pet and is sacred and shouldn't be harmed but these other animals were fair game yeah and but you think about it so his attitude isn't so different from the attitude of our society right we we say what we do to a dog um or, or what we don't allow people to do to a dog we allow them to do to chickens or pigs or um you know or if they're you know i i would never put poison down my dog's throat or society would never allow anyone to do that to their companion dog or cat, but we allow uh, researchers to do it all the time in laboratories. So, you know, we have this very schizophrenic relationship with animals. Mm -hmm. It's not consistent by any means. It's really pretty random. Um, It's not logical. And Keith was really just reflecting that societal attitude. Do you think that Keith could potentially be rehabilitated in that way in terms of the empathy being suppressed? Can that be undone? Not with him. Hmm. I don't think so. Not at this point. You know, he still had some moments of empathy. He wanted, ultimately, he wanted my friendship. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he's a lonely man. And, you know, um, and I think that would drive his his need to be close with people and to have that companionship would kind of drive some of his behavior to, to in a way to help suppress some of his the lack the his violent tendencies that he's developed but i don't think they would stay suppressed for long yeah. um he, it's it's become too much a habit of his that way of thinking has become such a deeply ingrained mm. part of who he is that at this point, I don't think that um, he could be re- rehabilitated. And I think that's probably the way with most people. If you've gone through, if you've done that kind of violent killing, yeah. um, you know, co- inflicted that kind of cruelty towards another, you know, it's, I think there's a point when there's, there's no return. And with Keith, there was definitely that point. Well, on the flip side, it was Um, encouraging to hear the ways that introducing animals in a prison setting can be helpful to the well-being of the inmates. And I felt like maybe we should be doing that more often. 
Do yeah, you agree? So, and, and thank you. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So even though I say with Keith, he could not be, I don't think he can be rehabilitated. You're right. In the book, I do explore where um, many other prisoners, including murderers, um, mm-hmm. have been rehabilitated through um, their relationships with animals. And there have been programs bringing animals into prison settings to draw out that compassion to and, and, and increase that compassion in prisoners. And it's been quite successful in many, many cases. It's just, these programs have been very successful. And um, I explore one that, the one that started it all basically in the United States, which was back in the 1970s. And it was uh, started at one of the most notorious and cruel penal institutions in the country, actually in the world at the time, which was the Ohio State Penitentiary um, or the, the Ohio State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. And there, the, you know, maybe I think we're, we're, we were dealing with people who have not, even though there's some of these people who are rehabilitated were murderers, they weren't murderers in the way that Keith is a murderer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't know, I don't know how else to say this. You know, Keith... Keith believed he had a justification in his head for why these women need to be murdered, just yeah. like he had a justification for why each animal that he he brutalized, why why each one you know was uh, why he can do that and why why society would approve. And so I, I'm not sure that was the case with these other folks, these other prisoners who were rehabilitated with animals. I don't think they had they were quite as extreme as Keith was. So I think there is a point when animals can rehabilitate violent people, um, but then there's a point where I don't think any some, some violent people just no matter what they can't be rehabilitated. Yeah, it's a different situation. Well, yes. what do you think it is about animals? And you talk about it a lot in the book, but just for the listeners, what do you think it is about them that um, is so therapeutic for our humans? You know, animals they. They're not humans, and so that's a good thing. And I think that's the, the, the very unique role that they play in our lives. You know, we, we, love, you know, we love our husbands or wives or spouses. We love our children. We love our parents. But even as we can love all these other people in our lives, they can cause us great uh, <laughs> pressure. They can, you know, they can tick you off. You can get really angry at them. They can do things that really annoy you. But... Um, with with animals it's not quite the same they they don't they don't cause that same type of pressure they don't cause that pressure in our lives mm-hmm. right you know my mother i can love her but she can just <laughs> drive me crazy at the same time and you know with my cats i don't get that i just get love <laughs> you know yeah my cat may throw up a hairball or something like that but you know that's that's a minor thing that's a minor problem but you know it's otherwise it's love and so i think they release that human-generated pressure in our lives. They help us to stop and be in the moment. Yeah. You know, and they and they they help us to step out of our very, very human-centric lives. Mm-hmm. Kind of, in a sense, help see the world, uh, you know, larger than we tend to see it. We, you know, we, we, we see the world. We're so, we're so egotistical in a sense that so much of our lives we think revolve around us. But with animals, we see that there's more to the world than just us. And I think that's actually ultimately good for us. 
Yeah. I mean, in, in a way, a lot of the things you're reporting in the book are things that people that have pets or that love animals already know, but it's so fun to read all the different types of people that are benefiting from animals in their lives. You did yeah, such a good were, job with that. Yeah, there were a lot of people. Yeah, there were, thank you so much. There were a lot of people, a lot of interesting characters um, that I met, including the, the former mobster who was a very much an interesting character. He was just like you'd expect a mobster to be. <laughs> when I met him, James Giuliani, and his story was really quite remarkable too and how he he just was spiraling down in life, you know, a drug, an alcohol addict, and just, uh, just a very, very uh self-involved he, he was you know he never thought about others he yeah. was so you know involved in his own life and just very egotistical and 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 self-involved but it was an encounter with one abused dog that changed his life completely and now he's dedicated his life to helping animals it's really quite a remarkable story it really is and just that animals don't care if you're poor or a criminal or whatever you know, they love you all the same. And I thought you did such a good job of representing all those different types of people that can get the benefits. Um, I was wondering while you were writing the book, if there was anything that you learned that really surprised you. Um, yeah. So the, the two things that really surprised me, um, one was the Keith Jesperson. So Mm -hmm. as, as I mentioned, I really expected all his relationships with animals to have been negative. And I found some really, really surprising moments of empathy, truly surprising moments of empathy, and that really surprised me. And I think it made it for a better story as well because there were these nuances to keep that I hadn't thought of. And the other was um, the the trip to the um, factory farm in Oklahoma, the first one, the chicken farm, Mm. how him, the, the farmer and his family how they were able to justify confining the chickens in these cages and in these horrible, disgusting conditions. And um, on one hand, and yet on another hand, how they were so distraught about killing the chickens in the end. And, you know, how they described that one time when they didn't have to kill the chickens, they went went out to celebrate. And so there were these two sides of this family, and I thought that was really interesting. So they, they really surprised me as well. Um, and, and, and I think I would say that with, with most of the people I met, you know, it was never just a pure black and white story. There were nuances and subtleties to their personalities and to their stories that I think reflect a lo- all of us. Um, yeah. That in how we think about animals, there there's always conflicts in how we think about one animal versus another, and um, these this really came through as I was uh, uh, getting to know these people. Right, humans are complicated, man. I know. I know. Right? Like, we don't we make are, sense. Right? We 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 we're not logical. <laughs> <laughs> we're you know we're not consistent at all. Um, we're mm-hmm. very complicated, but you know, and and I think that's why we seek out other animals because they're not. Yeah. And it's not to say that they don't have, uh, you know, unique personalities and behaviors that are uh, sometimes inconsistent and things like that. But you know, they're. They have no worry as they don't no have an agenda. Near, 
Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the best way to say it. They're just not like us, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that is a good thing. I think that's why thing. so many people say they preferred animals to humans, and I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're good company. Okay. So we always ask all of our guests one last question, which is, what do you keep in the trunk of your car if you have a car? Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> I have a blanket in case... Uh, the car breaks down in the middle of winter. Yes. I have water bottles, and I have what my husband has uh, sign, um, labeled as the Critter Rescue Kit. <laughs> of course so, you do. <laughs> What's in there? Of course I do. So it's, uh, it's, it's some kind of box. It could be a large box with holes in it, mm. smaller boxes, uh, towels, and um, some uh, other types of blankets. So I, I can't tell you how many times I have come across animals hurt on the road. Really? And, oh, my God, most people drive by animals on the road and, you know, they don't stop to think about these animals. But so many of them, unfortunately, they're they're still alive on the road and they're oh suffering. God. And so I've come across so many. I've seen I've seen so many drivers run over animals and not even pause. They mm. just kept going. And there was no way they would have not known that they hit an animal. Right. And so, you know, I've, in my life, and I've many times stopped and pulled over and had to, you know, and, and grab these animals, put them in, in these boxes or these crates that I've had and rush them to the emergency veterinary hospital. Usually there's once in a while there's something that can be done usually there's nothing that can be Mm. done for them but but at the very least you know relieve them of their suffering otherwise they're just going to linger on the road for god knows how long so so yeah i i always I, i i come across animals all the time um you know, on the road. So yeah, I definitely have oh a, a critter rescue You're kit. so nice. I, it's such a nice thing to do. Wow. Oh, thank you so much. You know, one of the things that really is heartening for me is when some people, you know, it, it gets hard. You see people intentionally, yeah. I've seen people intentionally drive over animals mm. or just not give give a damn about them. But then once, sometimes there are people who will stop and will help me. Aww. And that that's really... That makes me people. There was one young man who was trying to help a, um, a groundhog, and he stopped, and he spent an hour with me trying to get this groundhog in my car. Oh, my God. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it alone, and I was so grateful for this person to do this. You know, it's those people who help keep us going. You must be really baffled by people that don't show that kind of care for animals. Do you think about it a lot? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I think about it too much. It mm. can cause pessimism. Yes. Um, but then, like I said, I meet people like you, like this 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 kid who stopped to help me um, get the the groundhog. I meet people all the time who who have this inherent kindness for animals and. They're the ones that keep me going. They're the ones that inspire me to keep doing what I'm doing. I often think that people who really don't like animals, there must be something going on beyond just a preference. It seems like, I don't know, maybe they didn't have any exposure to animals, so they're scared of them. I don't know. There's always some of that. And, you know, it's fun. It's funny because we do, we judge people by how they are with animals, mm-hmm. don't we? You know, we know, there's, we kind of, 
know that someone who is not good with animals, there's something not quite right with that person. Yeah. If the person is cruel to animals, then we know yeah. that, that's, that there's something wrong there. And back to the Victorian era, um, pe- people, uh, um, educators, uh, you know, really... Um, we're really promoting having teaching children kindness by giving them companion animals Mm. and it was they knew that it was not just by by having that exposure to companion animals these children were not just learning how to be kind to the other animals but also to other humans and so we know that how we treat animals really does reflect and impact how we treat each other hey i have a question do you know Mm -hmm. how people you know, her increasingly bringing um, emotional support animals on airplanes and stuff. Right. Do you, what do you yeah. think of that? Are you super into it? You feel like everybody should have one or do you think it's overboard? What What is your opinion? I think, so I think, I think in one hand, some of it's a little overboard. Um, <laughs> like the peacock. You know, I, I, I think there was a peacock <laughs> at one point. <laughs> There's probably a good middle ground. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, some people really do. They really do get help yeah. with their companion animals. It doesn't matter what kind of animal that is. It could be a pig, a chicken. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? If they feel love and comfort with that animal, that's all that matters. Um, at the same time, I think that a lot of people... Um, a lot of people might rush to that a little too quickly. <laughs> and my concern is they may rush to it to getting a companion animal for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, if you think you're going to get a companion animal because you think this companion animal is going to do something specific for you, mm-hmm. that may not always work. And, you know, hopefully these people don't uh, then uh, get rid of those animals, you right. know, that they Good brought point. into their lives and, and turn them over to a shelter. So that, that's part of my concern as well. Yeah, that's funny. That's fascinating. Um, I, that just came to me and I wanted to know. But anyway, um, I'm so glad that I got to read Our Symphony with Animals. Our listeners are going to love it. I can't wait to hear their thoughts on it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Um, no, I guess, you know, well, actually, yes, there is. I think, you know, ultimately my hope was to make this book um, an overall inspiring book. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that's how you read it. It was, uh, even though there were some things that were a little difficult to read, I wanted this to be a very hopeful book and um, a book about how we are becoming more compassionate as a species. So um, just that, I guess, and also just to thank you so much for reading the book. I loved it. It was hopeful. It was inspiring. And um, hopefully a lot of people read it and learn all the ways that we're blessed to have animals and the things we can do to help them in the world. So thank you for writing it. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.